Hi, I'm Eric McEwen. And I'm Levi Weinhagen. And this is Regret Labs. Hi, Levi. Eric, hey, how's it going? It's going great. I'm excited for our topic. I'm also excited. For those who don't know. What uh, the show is. That's Regret Labs is a podcast where Levi... Where Levi... Hi, I'm Levi. Regret Labs is a podcast where Levi and I, two actors, comedians, improvisers, writers, yeah, uh, entertainers, feel we haven't kept up on our scientific responsibilities in learning. We feel like we're kind of lacking. Not kind of. We're really lacking. We both really like science and are excited about it, but didn't study very hard and don't know that much. Yes. So this is our attempt to make amends and to really feed ourselves with information. By exposing how dumb we are. Yeah. So we're going to play the everyman for you. We're gonna, well, well, not well, we're not going to play it. We're going to be it. This right. is us. This we're, we're not putting on an act. We're these not, are not characters. However unsmart we sound, that is exactly how unsmart we are. Or dumb is unsmart a word? Nope. What? It is not. Ugh. I don't think I have been more sincere than I am on this show. Yeah. And we 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 have experts on, and they tell us about stuff we should know. Yeah. That's what it is. And if you have an expert you want us to talk to, yeah, tell us. Tell us on Twitter at Regret Labs or regretlabs at gmail.com yeah. or Facebook. If whatever. You want. Wherever you are, we're probably there already. Yeah, just waiting. So today, our topic is climate change. Climate change. Which seems. This is. All right. Blah. I'm cold. <laughs> Levi, let me turn down the AC. Oh. Do you turn down the AC or turn up? You turn up the heat. Ooh. You would turn down the AC. This is not you something... You would crank up the AC to turn down the temperature. Right. So you turn it up both times. So both ways... Uh, is that a paradox? Is this something we should be asking our climb, I, climate... Our climb... Uh, yeah. Our climb theater specialist? Oh, are we going to talk to James Rohn, <laughs> yeah, former yeah. climb theater performer? Are we, we going to talk to our, our professor about this? Yeah, we should. About yeah, the air about conditioner? About air conditioning, yeah. Would you say turn up or turn down? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. He might have an answer. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But I would be more embarrassed asking that than anything else we're going to ask, I think. So, so shortly we're going to have a, a guest on climate change. Yeah. Before that, we're going to talk about what we understand about climate change. Yes. So what I understand Go on. is climate change is real yep. and is happening. Yes. And there are at least 99% of scientists who... Also agree with that. I believe that is called a scientific consensus. Yes. I'm definitely going to ask about consensus. Yes. Because I know it's pretty much all the scientists is a consensus, but what should that mean to the public? Yeah. And is the fact that there is still an ongoing conversation about, is this a thing rather than what do we do? Right. Is that normal and natural and healthy, or is that absurd and a sort of misuse of the idea of scientific fact and a consensus? Right. It's stupid that this episode could be a turnoff for people because we're talking about climate change. And that's... Is that like someone lists my turnoffs include... Well, climate change. Jerks. Uh, evolution, or, you know, just all these things that shouldn't be controversial at all, but for some reason... But I was doing it like a dating profile bit. Yeah. I feel like you stayed too serious just Oh, there. sorry. Sorry. What like bit do you want to do? Opportunity. No, it's uh, uh, over now. I just... Uh. I just need you to know. Well, try a movie reference. Uh, when Harry met Sally. <laughs> <laughs> just saying it. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Go ahead. List your turnoffs. I'll, uh, I'll 
I'll have the climate change that she's having. Oh, thank you for making it all make sense. <laughs> what you may not know is that's Rob Reiner's climate change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate movie facts. <laughs> if someone tells me about Psycho and watermelons and Hershey's syrup one more time, I'm going to throw somebody through a plate glass window. <laughs> The character of Norman was played by a watermelon covered in Hershey <laughs> syrup. I'm sorry to tell you this again. Uh, and how did he get the role in the trial after that? Because <laughs> he's just really good at it. Yeah, he's very good. Uh, so what do we know about climate change? It's real. It's real. And people are arguing about it. People are arguing about it. It's going to kill us all. It's getting to a point where it's going to be hard for us to reverse effects. Uh, my understanding is... What, what that really means is the, the earth will go on. Oh, yeah. Climate change will happen and it get exceedingly more powerful. Mm -hmm. And eventually humans will die from that, all told, probably. Yeah, the, the earth is going to be... the earth is fine. It's going to be fine until the sun explodes. So, right. And that's a whole different conversation. Right. So what, what the conversation should be about is how do we save us humans? Yeah, not how, how do we save the world. Because our world. Because the world for our... us only exists with humans on it. Yeah. So that's what we need when we say save the world. Save the world. Saves we don't really care world. about the world, frankly. No, it's, it's, yeah, we're not. It's ours to consume. We don't worry about etching scars into Mother Gaia. Yeah. No, no we don't. Well, right? I do. Do you? A little. That's I mean, because I'm you watched uh, Captain Planet. That is exactly why. Yeah. Yeah, I could never summon him, though. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... it's. Can I say a thing I've noticed we do? Absolutely. Uh, when we're trying to explain something we don't understand, we just get a, t a tiny tangential, and now we're just talking about how we, should save the, again. how we should save the world instead of defining climate change, because it's a challenging thing. So what I believe that climate change is the gradual shift for more extreme weather as a result of an increased heat, I think, captured in the Earth's ozone. Sounds right. More greenhouse gases. And this is, I believe the consensus is it's being caused by humans. Well, because we emit carbon Car dioxide? Dioxide? Oh, boy. Right? No, I'm pretty sure it's carbon dioxide. <laughs> yeah. It's not being um, filtered out enough. So it's it's there's too much of it being trapped right so in the, the Earth's atmosphere. sunlight is coming in but it's not can't being, go back out can't go out and We're it's climate it. change because earth is a complex ecosystem and if something is heating up it doesn't mean something else isn't cooling down as uh, an effect you know if the oceans are heating up and it's changing currents that means the weather's going to be different which means other places are going to be cooling down right which means it'll other still places... snow in winter where it yeah. snows in winter or whatever so just because there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, I think, just because people people believe what they see. Yes. And if they see, well, it was plenty cold this winter, that must mean climate change isn't happening. Well, that's not enough evidence. That's not enough to yeah, go the, by. The powerful piece for me that seems pretty visual is the more extremes of severe weather, that there's mm -hmm. been an increase in the number of those kinds of incidences and the severity of them. Okay. So tornadoes have become more powerful on a whole, earthquakes, hurricanes. The, that is something that I believe I have read. Earthquakes? Could be wrong. I don't know if earthquakes is a thing or not. Other natural disasters. Okay. You're right, though. Earthquakes seems like it has a lot to do with the underground, but that can be affected by... Tectonic uh, shifts? Yeah. All those plates rubbing together. Yeah. 
<laughs> was that two continents having sex? <laughs> that was, yeah. Huh. That's Mother Gaia. And that's, yeah. Just and that's how Australia was born. Having her way with herself. <laughs> because she's all one. Right, yeah, yeah. At least she was, and she broke apart. So sad. So I want, I want to know more about, I, I, maybe some concrete facts. Yeah, I want to I want to know a good definition of what climate change is, mm-hmm. and and I hope we we can fit it in because that seems like that's plenty. But I'm really curious about the sort of cultural <laughs> argument. Yeah, and from what I what I understand is that the scientific community there's not a lot of controversy, but they don't have the time to keep arguing with the people when they're like, we already got have the info, we need right. to we need to take do action. something. Yeah. And there's still this sort of like, how much of that is just money? Like just about our use of natural resources um, yeah, the, as a commodity. I like don't oil know. companies who don't want to change the, uh, I don't know what it is. No. I, or, uh, for movies, it seems like oil companies would have a big something to do with it. Yeah. They, they have become the, they're like Russia now. They like are. Russia in the 80s is what big energy companies are <laughs> in movies now. We don't want to change uh, with the way things are happening. There's no money in it. We're going to, yeah, that's right. We're, we're, we got these oil fields and we're going to fill America up. And we got to do it by taking on this small town. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the little towns sometimes can make a big change. It's very true. That's a tagline. For every movie. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Levi? No, I'm really excited to get Craig in here. All right. Let's talk to our guest. Yeah. Hey, Levi. Hey, Eric. How are you? Well, I don't need to ask you that. No, right. I'm the same. We're back with uh, (laughs) Greg. You seem surprised. What, that we're back? Yeah. Hold on. All right. Now I'm ready. We're back with Greg Layden, who is joining us. Hi, Greg. Thanks for coming. Hey, great being here. Thanks uh, for inviting me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Happy to have you. Yeah. Um, so we are here to talk about climate change. But before we get into that, let's talk a little about you and okay. just your, your kind of background. And now you are a scientist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So Greg is our first so scientist. Exciting. Yes. Not a science writer or a business analyst right. who loves physics. Right. But you are uh, actual, you can be defined. I actually heard you guys talking about what a scientist was oh, last all right. week. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am a scientist because I, I have done lots of research and I have a PhD in a science. Mm-hmm. And you've written papers? I've written papers okay, and, yeah. and stuff. And But it was an interesting question because, you know, I, I was chatting with some other people the other day. There's actually a good reason to have a big tent and get more people Call more people scientists than you might want to. For example, my wife, she is a biology teacher at a high school. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really make her a scientist, right? But she has a master's degree in biology for which she did original research. And she works in that lab every year. Sounds like she should be a scientist. So I would count her as a scientist at least part-time. Yeah. You know? and, if, and the more we can get teachers who are science teachers to actually be scientists... That's good. Yeah, they're the ones who are actually sort of giving that interest and yeah. love of science. Right. And hopefully it's not full-time science because you don't really want full-time type scientists in your classroom, you know, because right. they would just, you know, mess it up. But, <laughs> you know, they have, you want good teachers. But so I, and on the other hand, when you have in the climate science thing where you have denialism going on, you have people claiming to be scientists who are, I don't know, economists. No, I shouldn't say that about economists. <laughs> but, you know, people who are, who are, it's very easy to want to push people out of the tent sometimes, okay. you know, and I personally think that should be resisted. You should bring people into the tent more in mm-hmm. general and let people call themselves scientists who are actively involved. And you can be an avocational scientist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you seem to be a pretty strong advocate of science, science literacy in yeah. the, the blogging that you've been doing for years and how, how active you are on social media like Twitter, where you're sharing a lot of information, but you're trying to make it very accessible. 
accessible. Right. I, I really like that piece of the kind of work that you're doing that I don't think every every scientist takes on as an important part of being a scientist. Right. And actually, these days, I actually call myself when asked a climate, I mean, sorry, a science communicator. Mm -hmm. I am mm -hmm. a scientist and I actually have a couple of research projects that I'm always working on and eventually will, you know, finish. But that's what I mainly do now is, is communication. And if you're a full-time university faculty member, a scientist, you can't do that kind of outreach. Mm. It's considered to be um, a bad thing to do. Like it's frowned on by the university itself or by the scientific well, community? Well, uh, the scientific community tends to not frown on it. Well, some people do. Some people, it, it's changed. It, Ten years ago, I would say that the scientific community totally frowns on it and universities actually almost prohibit it. Hmm. Then the universities stopped doing that when they realized they were being jerks and they, <laughs> they simply didn't include it in the good things you're allowed to do or encouraged oh, sure. to do. But you have to do only the good things. So therefore, it was still something you can't do. And scientists started realizing that this was important and they needed to do it. Yeah. And I, and I have had conversations with when Richard Dawkins, before Richard Dawkins was famous for his atheism, he was mm -hmm. famous for his, you know, selfish gene. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's overlaps with my field, you know, behavioral biology. Yeah. So I've, you know, been at conferences where people are complaining about Dawkins, like, oh, what has he ever done? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, everyone has heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's created a cult of pro-evolutionary science. Yeah, so totally. So what did you do? You discovered some, you know, insect or something. Yeah. And he's letting you study your insect. But, you know, so I think that popularizing has always been looked down upon by some subsets of science. Huh. But increasingly, it's becoming more something people recognize that you should do. Well, it seems that's probably a whole other topic, but it seems like that's a shift in academia in general about yeah, yeah. instead of trying to be exclusive to make yourself seem more important, there's an acknowledgement of like our funding sources and the passion for us. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I don't teach at the University of Minnesota anymore, but I, I used to. And when I started there, I didn't, I had been only in private institutions before. And I didn't really, I assume when you went to a state university that the state paid for it. Mm -hmm. Turns out that's not true. I remember a meeting with uh, the dean of the CLA, Dean Rosenstone at the time, after I'd been there about three or four years. It, we were having an economic crisis in, nationally and in Minnesota was starting and they were starting to raise tuition every few days, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and he basically said at the meeting, we have to make it so that if the state of Minnesota decides to not give us another dime, we would be okay. Mm. And I'm thinking, how long is that going to take? And he said, and in a year or two, we'll be there. Was it NSF funding? Like, what is the... Tuition. Oh, it's all just tuition. And lots and no, lots and lots of funding yeah. from, from research institutions and so on. But basically, this is why when my older siblings went to school at the university, at, at SUNY Albany, they were paying something like... $190 a semester for tuition. Mm. And now you go to school for four years and you leave with $150,000 in oh, yeah. debt. Uh, basically, we just were charging what it costs. Yeah. Which is actually a really bad idea when it comes to education. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it's great with gas. Like that's a good, that's a good <laughs> idea, probably with gas. But that relates back to what we're talking about because that basically means that the way that science is done. I mean, Darwin had very little grant money. He he got his father to pay for his ex, his his work in the in the in the Beagle, and you know he paid for it himself. The big cost back then was actually publication was a big cost back mm -hmm. then. You know, printing books and apparently going around on a boat. You know, for five years was not that expensive. But th those guys paid for their own their own research. They funded themselves. They didn't mm -hmm. need outside money. To Which be, meant they could probably do the work however they wanted to do the work. There's an advantage to that and a disadvantage right. to that, right? Yeah. But there's no oversight, you know? Yeah. And on yeah. the other hand, nobody's telling you. Know, so anyway. On the other hand, there's no oversight. <laughs> on the other hand, there's no oversight. <laughs> right. And yeah, things have changed totally as to how, how people survive and how they get their money and so on. And so I think the whole relationship to the public has changed. Yeah. A lot. 
Well, it's great then. I think we have a, a, a an official scientist who's also all about communicating about science. Like yeah. that is the whole idea of what we're trying to get at. And so Eric and I want to know about climate change. Yeah. So first of all, we all know climate change isn't real. Right. So yeah, uh, climate change, uh, uh, 99% uh, scientific consensus and humans are causing it. And what else do we know? We were talking about before you got here that when we say save the world, we mean save the humans. Like, it's not really like climate change is going to destroy the earth. It's more that it'll ruin the environment we need to survive as human beings. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, lots of lots of things are at risk because of climate change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the corn is going to all go have a hard time, for example. Yeah. And since we're in charge of keeping the corn happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, I don't know. It depends. I mean, it, it's really, to me, very open as to how, as to what will go go wrong. Yeah. Well, can you, can you in a, I mean, is there a simple, simple, understandable way of saying this is what climate change means? Like, is there basic terms? This is a, this is how you would describe the idea of climate change as it exists now. Yeah, it's actually a few things that you can't do it too simply, but mm-hmm. we can do it kind of simply. For one thing, it'll get warmer. Okay. Uh, now, warmer means that the coldest average days in some parts of the planet will be warmer than the warmest average days of 30 or 40 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Because when 50 years from now, that'll be the case, or that the climate zones will be completely moved. One problem with moving climate zones is, for a lot of habitats, trees, mm-hmm. buildings you've built, infrastructure you've made. How you lay a railroad track depends upon what the expected temperatures are going to be. Mm-hmm. All the, uh, There's an amazing number of things that, that are determined by your expected temperature range. Well, even the potholes in the Minnesota roads. Yeah, how you make the potholes is, yeah. would be different. You have to make them <laughs> differently. We have to change that system. <laughs> right. You know, and so that, and that's, uh, the, it's just a huge shift. Now, uh, some of that shifting is happening already and it will happen more rapidly than, than it can be compensated for. You can change the way you make, you build your next railroad infrastructure, mm-hmm. but we already have a railroad infrastructure. We're not going to build a new one. Right. You can change how you pave your roads, maybe, fast, if you get the bureaucracy together. Mm. But can you change the composition of the forests in 15 years or 20 years? No, that takes like a thousand years. Right. So, you know, there, there's things that, that will adapt and change rather quickly and some that won't. That's one thing that'll happen. Most notably, though, the average temperature of the Earth is going to be like it was. You know, we have an interesting, This you want to know about details of how science works. Okay. We have a very, very detailed record of climate for the last 800,000 years. Mm-hmm. And then we have a less detailed record for the previous several tens of millions of years. So when you want to know when was the last time the Earth would be as warm as it will be, say, in 10 years from now, or as warm as it is now, we can go back to 800,000 years and say it hasn't been this warm for 800,000 years. Then we look back farther, and it, and it turns out that it's something like four and a half million years ago is the last time it was this warm. But we can't be completely sure about the time period between 800,000 and four million because the record isn't that detailed. It's not a simple answer, but somewhere between one and four million years ago, climate was like it is now, and it is getting warmer rapidly. So we are already, and, and one of the, another very important thing to realize when you think about climate change is, imagine a spherical Earth, you know, like a spherical cow, but an Earth. Okay. And there's no ocean, there's land. Okay. Air, the air is all made of nitrogen, and you can throw oxygen, it doesn't matter. And you have 280 parts per million carbon dioxide. What happens to the temperature of the atmosphere when you double the carbon dioxide? The answer is it goes up, I can't remember the exact number, like 1.4 degrees Celsius. How long will it take? There's no ocean. There's nothing else in the atmosphere but these inert gases plus CO2. Mm -hmm. It will happen pretty much 
immediately mm-hmm. as soon as the sun can warm it up. It might, right. I guess it might take a year because of seasonality, right? Mm-hmm. If you add oceans, how long will it take? Oh, maybe 200 years because oceans just suck in all this heat. They actually suck in the CO2 as well. So it takes way, way, way longer to reach this new equilibrium temperature. Okay. If you add oceans, you can't avoid adding, let's say you don't add oceans, but you just add water. So you just make everything moist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Like a lot of puddles. They're right. very shallow, but or, everything. Or good know. cake. Yeah. Right. Like really moist cake. Yeah. Just yeah just everything's like, so now you can have evapor- you have water vapor in the air. What happens is you add that CO2 to the atmosphere. It warms everything up. And what happens is more of the water exists now as vapor than it exists as liquid. That is a greenhouse gas. That is, and actually that, what is the temperature going to go up to now? If you ha- don't have an ocean, you add enough moisture to have lots of vapor in the atmosphere. Now that the equilibrium temperature raise is somewhere between three and five degrees. Because there's more trapped in the air? There's because more... because uh, water vapor is a greenhouse gas. Okay. And that's that's why this gets difficult because how much it goes up when you add water vapor depends upon where the water vapor goes. Some of it will be clouds that will reflect away sunlight and some will be uh, acting as a greenhouse gas. Turns out the reflecting thing hardly ever happens. Now mm-hmm. you add ocean and now what happens is some of the CO2 you've added goes into the ocean and a lot of the heat goes into the ocean. So that's good. Well, no, it, it, no. It means it means ultimately the same exact thing happens. Oh, okay. It, it just, just takes. It just we don't know. We know less about how long it takes because it's still eventually going to get released back. back It'll up. eventually reach equilibrium. It just takes longer. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're wrestling with right now. So what will happen is things will get warmer. Here's the scary. Here's the thing I, I think is it's funny. I've given about five or six talks on this in the last few months, and I, I went out on the on the limb a little bit to say some things that are a little bit extreme and that I think could happen. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, I know the research is going to agree with me soon because I'm vaguely familiar with what people are doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And last week, three papers came out that basically said Greg was right. They didn't actually <laughs> say that specifically in the paper. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, the about thing, the Western shelf about the Antarctic and also Greenland. Okay. Yeah. The, the general amount of melting, this is the second part. It's going to get warmer is the first part. The second part is the oceans are going to rise. And if we go back and look at, at 400 to 500 parts per million of carbon dioxide atmospheric conditions, which is where we're at 400 now and we're going up fast. So if we look at the next several decades, say four to 500 parts per million, how high is the ocean normally when it's four to 500 parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? The answer is 14 meters higher than it is now on average. So let's talk about we're looking at a meter of sea level rise. I'm sorry, but we were locked into a meter of sea level rise probably 1980. We are currently locked into many meters of sea level rise, in my opinion. Now, not everyone agrees with this, except that every time an, a, a glacier study comes out, every single glacial study I can think of in sequence for the last three or four years has done the same exact thing. It said, oh, you know, it's melting faster than we thought the last study we did a month <laughs> but ago. But I'm sure it'll even out. No, no, no. They're not saying that. They're just saying, you know, we thought it was this and now it's actually this and it's more. Huh. Or they look at a part, a large part of Antarctica that you know, previously people said this will never melt. And then they look at the, at they get the sub, the sub ice radar going and they look and say, hey, you know what? This is melts all the time. I because feel like, we can see uh, the melting underneath. It would be really hard to argue with you, like if you were uh, my dad or like a close relative, and you were like, <laughs> just so you know, I'm ahead of the science. Like the research is going to bear this out. Uh, so what, I might tell you something right now that you don't know anything like that. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, the, the paleo, I, I, my, my area of expertise more or less is the paleo, paleo record. Mm-hmm. The paleo record tells you what has happened, when X happens and Y happens. Mm-hmm. We can't always be, it may, it may not always be accurate. There may be something else going on we didn't know about. The paleo record has all kinds of unknowns. Sure, sure. But if every time you go to a certain, I mean, and it's actually really variable. When I said 14 meters, that's an average. It's been as little as four or five meters high. Hmm. It's been as much as 30. So 
with about four to 500 parts per million. And those measurements may not be accurate. They might be off by a few meters. Right. But the point is, when we talk about a meter of sea level rise expected over the next century, well, here's, here's the important part. How long will it take for the, for the glaciers to melt and the sea level to go up? We are currently looking at an equilibrium temperature. The temperature equilibrium right now is higher than the actual temperature. Okay. It's like, I'm going to put a pot of water on the, on the stove to boil for 10 minutes. I turn it on. Is it at the same temperature now as it will be in 10 minutes from now? No, but it will be. Hmm. So, you know, it takes time. So the, te- the atmosphere is heating up and we can't stop it from heating up because we already put the CO2 in the atmosphere. We mm-hmm. can't stop it from heating up. It's going to heat up to some amount that we don't know about yet. And that increased amount is going to melt glaciers in a deg- to an amount that we don't know about. And we don't know how long it will take for the atmosphere to heat up. We don't know how long it will take for the glaciers to melt. And is that the kind of thing where it also is accelerating like that? I feel like I've heard in climate change, as those temperatures go up, it, it accelerates the increase, the sort of speed of increase. Yeah, positive feedbacks, which yeah. are not positive, <laughs> which are bad things. Uh, okay, there's two things there. One is there's, there, there is a positive feedback, for example, with, with temperature and one of the forcing mechanisms, one of the things that makes the temperature what it is, is how much sunlight is reflected away. Mm-hmm. And if you melt a lot of ice, a lot of sea ice in the summer, or a lot of glacial ice, or just make the ice dirty, mm-hmm. you get less reflection. So one example of a positive feedback might be is a project called the Dark Snow Project, which is working in Greenland now. They're looking at this. You get, you get. <laughs> that um, sounds so nefarious. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you get climate change, you get global warming, causes changes we can talk about later in the weather, which increase forest fires and brush fires hmm. in Canada and the United States. The Canadian, the North American fires put soot on Greenland. I mean, it makes the ice dirty. Right. And now it reflects less sunlight and melts more. And then more um, fire. Yeah. Then it just feeds back. So that's a positive feedback. Right. Example. Of positive. So melting glaciers are getting them dark and messy is a positive feedback, meaning it increases the temperature. Yeah. I mean, there's another positive feedback we should talk about because it's actually one that is not likely to happen, but people talk about it. And it's funny because the climate denialists call people like me and other and climate scientists and stuff, they call us alarmists. Mm-hmm. And racists. And racist yeah, uh, a bunch Nazis. Of other racist made Nazis. Up words too. Yeah. yeah, I saw the Nazi yeah. thing is fascinating. Um, and you do have a tiny mustache. Well I do know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the thing is the thing is uh, there's actually some of the same people. I, I there's a photograph of me that was used online that has me pointing at an antelope. Oh, and it looks like you're doing looks the, like I'm giving the a Nazi Hiles? salute. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> that was, I had to take that down because it's like I'm showing my seven year old daughter an antelope. That oh. antelope was Hitler though. That's right, true. Right. That was, yeah, why'd you guys Oh boy. So I hope um, this spec gets lifted out. I would like that to be taken out of context. <laughs> right, right. Okay, what were we talking about? We're talking about positive feedbacks and um one that's not gonna happen. Or not likely yeah. to you know, methane is always being produced by biological systems. Mm-hmm. It gets in the ocean. All you know, gases in the air get in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And some of it then crystallizes essentially. At a certain combination of temperature and pressure, methane turns into a solid. And the bottom of the ocean is more or less, you know, lined with nodules of this stuff. At one point in time, people were thinking, well, that's actually way more than there is oil and coal together. We could just fuel ourselves on that. But we have to go to the bottom of the ocean. Right. And, and work was done to do that, to, to collect that stuff. Research was done to collect that stuff. And it can be collected. It's just, it's very tricky because as soon as you start moving it from its temperature and pressure environment, it turns into a gas. Mm. But it's just this nodule that's underwater. So how do you, you know, contain right. it and stuff, right? But it's possible. Anyway, in the Arctic, the ocean is shallow. A shallow it won't exist at a shallow ocean in warmer climates, but when, when the ocean's cold enough, it'll exist at a shallow ocean because it's cold enough. Mm-hmm. So the ocean 
in the Arctic has this stuff near the surface. So it's easier to extract. Well, the thing is, it's easier to warm up. Oh, sure. As the Arctic Ocean warms up, it's turning into gas. Oh, okay. And coming out and becoming a greenhouse gas. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's a real positive feedback and a significant methane is 20 times more powerful of a greenhouse gas as a greenhouse gas as carbon dioxide is. But it turns into carbon dioxide and water pretty fast, so it, it goes away. So in the long, people who, count, who consider these long-term equilibrium studies of what will the temperature be in like 50 years given our situation don't even count methane. Or it doesn't count for much because it converts into CO2. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really count. Hmm. But if you've got a lot of methane at once, suddenly in the atmosphere, it might cause a sudden increase in temperature that would again cause more methane to come out because it's warming up the ocean. There's a concept called the methane gun. And basically, it heats. It, the, the idea is the, the, the Arctic Ocean warms up enough to release lots of methane, which then causes a methane blanket to form over the Arctic, which heats it up really fast locally, which causes the water to heat up more and causes more methane to come out. And pretty soon, you've got a catastrophic amount of greenhouse gas coming out, and the temperature of the Earth goes up five degrees in you know. And then would like the year. sea levels rise too? Would that... <clears throat> well, it does, it's almost not. We're, we're talking about what happened because the, the the actual conversion of methane into into a gas form under these different scenarios isn't possible. Hmm. So the methane gun idea, fortunately, is something that we can rule out as being extremely unlikely. But the idea of alarmism, okay, like people consider me to be an alarmist, and you know what I am because I'm really alarmed. Yeah, right. right. You know, I, mean, I actually don't think it's a bad thing to call me well, that because I'm well, alarmed. Yeah, an alarm is supposed to like, hey, it's your house is on fire, get right. out. Right. Like that's not bad. Right. But this methane gun thing is really alarmist. It's actually not. Not gonna. It's not gonna happen. In, we in think. The, well, unless we're wrong, the and then we're completely screwed, and then. Right. Yeah. That's the difference, though. With a scientist, is always like. Well, as far as we know. Right, yeah. Like, you don't hear that from a pundit who will be like, maybe. Like, they never will say, I'm not sure. The facts are in. Why is it so hard for people to accept or to even talk about it without some bizarre amount of emotion behind it? Yeah, what's at stake for the, the people who want to sort of negatively call you an alarmist? Well... We assumed it was the big energy <coughs> companies because they're like the current villain. But like that's also vague. <laughs> it, it it actually works at several levels, and big energy companies are certainly part of it. I mean, they they literally have spent millions and millions of dollars on creating climate change denialism, and they do it through quote unquote think tanks and organizations that get propaganda out, get information out. Hmm. I mean, it's the same thing as what environmental groups do. Mm-hmm. You know, a big money somehow goes into nonprofits, which then disseminate information, provide information. Everybody's doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you go to the local grade schools in Minnesota in third, fourth, fifth grade, you'll see pack information learning packets provided by the Vikings. You know, they it's do geography true, yeah. lessons, right, about yeah. where they're going to play, right? So they're just trying to get everybody to like the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the Heartland Institute, which is the organization that attempted to that, that was hired by the tobacco lobby to, to prove that smoking was good for you or at least not bad for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. They attempted to, to get together uh, study packets for school, for middle school, I think it was, to you know about how climate change is, always happens and it's not really an important thing and blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, nice. basically denialist literature. And from an American political social point of view, you might, you know, a lot of people think, well, that's fine. I mean, if they have a point of view, then their point of view, therefore, is valid. So mm-hmm. why not oh, have their like point the of view? teach the controversy kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Teach the controversy. You know, it's, and it's and have balance between different perspectives right, right. and so on and so forth, you know, which is a bunch of crap. Yeah. Well, yeah. if one thing's right, one thing's wrong. It's right. not really balance. Yeah. So, th- so they're spending a lot of money on it. Another aspect of it is that here's an interesting 
couple of facts might be interesting. If you if you ask like, who is who is against evolution in schools, who's trying to teach creationism in schools, it's basically Christian creationists. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of Christians are not interested in this at all and don't care. No, right. The vast the vast majority are not creationists. Right. But all of the creationists are Christians. I mean, there's a few in our country. All the active creationists are Christians because mm-hmm. there's other kinds of creationists. There's Muslim creationists and Turkish sure, sure. and whatever. Right, right. But they're all basically Christian groups, and they're basically anti-science. Because putting science down and devaluing independence and science of scientists and science teachers lets politicians come in and tell you what to say and not say. Mm. Okay. So so you would assume that a certain amount of climate denialism is coming from the same groups. And it is to some extent. Who are just plain anti-science. Right. So just jumping on this bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And they also tend to be politically conservative. So they want to be against climate change because it's for some reason politically conservative thing to do. Turns out that being an evangelical Christian or being very religious, depending on which study you look at, does predict your position on evolution pretty well, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't predict your position on climate change as well. Hmm. There's a relationship, but it's not that good. It's not that strong a relationship. Being an evangelical Christian doesn't make you that much more non-accepting of climate science than just being an American, just a few percentage points. Interestingly, one study asked a question, a multiple choice question of, you know, what is the primary greenhouse gas of the following that we're concerned with? And the, the answers were CO2 was one answer. And the other ones were argon, you know, neon or something, and radon, which is a, a gas that, you know, people know about. Right. None of them were water vapor mm. or methane. So the other... The other it wasn't know, tricky. It wasn't tricky. Right. CO2 was a correct answer. Okay. And about 60% of people got it correct, which is actually, you know, maybe this, you might consider that to be high because they weren't in a class. They were just randomly chosen people. Mm-hmm. But of the five politically distinct groups that they were divided into, one group was statistically significantly more correct than another group. The conservatives were more correct than the progressive liberals. Hmm. So they actually know the CO2. By a couple of percentage points, yeah. but statistically significant, they actually knew the answer more, more often correctly. And this is an important thing about science. You guys are in an outreach right now and talking to people about science. This is a great thing that you're doing, okay? Oh, go on. But yes. Right? It is. <laughs> Thank and you. And there should be more of it, and people should, should do more of that. But how much... And, you know, if you look at the secular community, like ask an atheist, what do you do? You, do you believe in climate change? An activist atheist. Mm-hmm. And the atheist will say, believe? Yeah. They'll get all off right. on the word believe. Yeah. You right. use the word believe. Of course, it's not belief. It's science. And you do science and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, nah, it's not true at all. Because can you explain to me actually how it works? I mean, yes, if you have climate scientist yeah, or can. someone who studies that's, it. That's why you're yeah, here. No, <laughs> it, it's basically belief. We actually are, are in, engaged in belief all the time. Yeah, you have to trust what you're told by someone who's right. who knows more than you. Yeah, like and that. it's received. You're receiving knowledge from a source that you choose to receive it from and to accept it from, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're ignoring sources, other sources. Uh, what your role as a citizen is to figure out which sources are reliable for you. Right. So Jenny McCarthy. Right. For a vaccination and, and health things, you <laughs> right. go for Jen, to Jenny McCarthy and get her opinion. You're a monster. What? <laughs> and for for climate change, we go to Pat Sajak and. Right. For uh, uh, now, hit evolution. Who do we go to for evolution? Uh, ham, that ham yeah. guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 right. Getting creation museum, have a whole museum. <laughs> well, one of the, well, and of course, we get in, it's really problematic because among people who are, I would think of as being sort of liberal and progressive, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are also very distrusting of the government because and big, sure, and big sure. business, big ag and big pharma and right. so on. The whole GMO. Yeah. yeah. So it's very easy to thing. find people who are pro, basically progressive and want to. And w- you would you would think that they would be kind of pro science instead of instead of, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be going down with the Koch brothers. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yet they are not willing to say I will just take what the the ICPCC, which is the all governments in the world 
put together into the UN to make a super government panel. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you trust them if you're not going to trust, if you're basically, if you're an anarchist? Right. Even bigger government. Even yeah. bigger government. Why would you trust them? Why would you trust a surgeon general? Why would you trust the Department of Health director? Yeah. Okay. But if you actually listen to those sources and you're a liberal, progressive, pro-science person, they are in agreement with you about most things. Yeah. But it's very weird. I was at a conference at the Humphrey Center on food the other day. And let's see if I get this straight. It was a, the Surgeon General. He wasn't there, but he, he beamed himself in by satellite. <laughs> and he was talking about the food plate. It used to be the food pyramid. And now it's right, like right. the plate. And he showed the plate and he was talking about how he basically he was saying all this good stuff about food and diet and how we have to change everything about how we produce food and where we get our food and everything about food. Given the whole foodie line is all really good stuff. We have to do more local stuff and yeah. less refined sugar and blah, blah, blah. This is what the whole conference was about. And then he shows the food plate. And I can't remember the exact details, but part of it was part of the food plate was originally proteins. And he said, this is just read this as proteins. It says dairy and meat. But that's because we had to say that. Oh, because of the, the industry? The, the dairy and meat yeah. industry, uh, basically paying, you know, basically forcing them to do it because they have ways to force things to happen. Well, they have a ton of money. Right. Yeah. So right there at the top of the, 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 the head health guy at the very top of the government is telling us we're doing this good thing and they're getting it right. But he's also admitting we had to make this part up. We had to fudge the science. It's not completely wrong, but it is basically something we didn't want to say from the science because of the political pressure. So to distrust big companies and science... I think it's funny when people argue, you know, vaccines are good, you can trust big pharma. Sorry, but no, you should never trust big pharma to do anything because they're just a big giant corporation that does not have your interest in mind. On the other hand, vaccines are good. Right. And you can have both of those thoughts in your brain at once. They're not really contradictory. Right. It just requires a slight bit of nuance that I think we find annoying as Americans. <laughs> We're like, I don't right. want to have to think about that piece. Well, Eric and I were talking about sort of, you've touched on this a bit, but the idea of scientific consensus. Yeah. That seems like a clear thing. Like, Right. The, if you put out on your blog that you know, 99 point whatever percent of scientists say that's it's happening it's real it's coming so what i don't know what's the question what does it con- well, i don't know who consensus? that one percent is <laughs> well it's a whole other it's a good question i mean the, the, there is a group of people who did you can look it up online the consensus project mm-hmm. there's been a number of published peer-reviewed research projects on the consensus and they did the most recent couple of them there's two different questions being asked here one is what does the peer-reviewed literature say and the other is what do scientists say and when the consensus project came out the most recent uh, paper was on literature and the denialist, you know, took it to, ta- to task because the paper said 97% of the peer-reviewed papers, you know, address addressing this issue agree with this one particular consensus. Sure. Global warming is real and happening, human cause, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, actually, 75% of the papers don't say that. And the consensus is less than 25%. And that's true. Because if you look at all the papers ever published in any journal that deals with climate oh, change, sure, sure. most of them aren't about this. Right. Okay. So you can only look at, at the papers that actually address the question. Then what they did was they categorized papers conservatively. So papers that were even slightly equivocal were counted as, as saying no. In other words, they're very, they didn't want to get people yelling at them later saying, oh, you shouldn't have put this in that. They, all their papers, it's like you, you took my science class at the U many I years did, ago, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, the way I graded that, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you know, n- no student in the class of 500 will ever be near the line, hmm. the AB line. You always move the number to a place where it's not near any student. So no one can come and say, if I only had a tenth of a point more, I'd get an A. Mm-hmm. It's like, sorry, you're not there. So you, you you make sure you grade the papers so that no one can ever say this should have been in the other category. They're mm. very conservative about grading the papers. The papers were over, I don't I can't remember how many years, but several years. Mm-hmm. And this is a changing thing. Yeah. Another person later went past, went over the last 3,000 published peer-reviewed papers in the same journals or some subset of journals 
and found one that seemed to be questioning one of the aspects of climate change. The 3% out of the 97% consensus paper, the 3%, less than 3% that were not in the majority were not saying climate change isn't real. There were three or four or five criteria and they were had one or two of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. They basically were saying it's real. Right. But it okay. had some reservations on some aspects. On some aspect of okay. it. Okay. So it's basically, and, and then, it, and then of course those are older, the more recent papers. So there just isn't any question. I mean, first of all, you'd have to change physics. Remember the spherical earth with no ocean. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fact that that goes up 1.4 degrees Celsius, if you double the carbon dioxide level, you can do that in a, in a laboratory. Mm-hmm. It's routinely done in high school physics classes these days. A lot of teachers use that as an example. It's you a good can, example. Yeah, you can you have a light and you have the carbon dioxide in different chambers and you can just look at the greenhouse effect right there. It's a simple experiment. You can do it at home. Yeah. So you can't, it's questioning that is like more, more often saying that contrails are controlling the weather because you probably could control the weather with contrails. If you were like, we don't know how you do it, but if you had a breakthrough, like it's Uh theoretically possible, I suppose, but you can't change the physics of gases and, and, and sunlight. Mm -hmm. You can't. So that's really there. And everything stems from that. We get into the the, the difficulty. Unknowns are how long will it take to reach equilibrium sensitivity, that number of three or four degrees increase with doubling Mm -hmm. CO2. How long will it take and what is the exact number that that, that we would reach? And the dynamics of other forcing mechanisms like Arctic methane versus aerosols from volcanoes, these are unknowns. These, mm-hmm. we don't, it's not that we don't know how they work. It's just that we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know what volcanoes are going to go off in the next 50 years. So there's unknowns in the natural system. There is vagueness in the timing of things. But it's mostly straightforward physics. To really say it's not real is really to say, I mean, cold fusion is more likely. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so we, you know, I think we could talk about that side of this topic forever. Quite frankly, it's really interesting, and it seems to be sort of unending ways people will find to argue about things. But I'm really curious with someone who's communicating about this issue and these issues in science in general. How much time and energy are you able to give, and what what do you say when people are like, "All right, well, what what do we do?" Like, it seems like a lot of time is wasted on the "is this a thing" conversation. Yeah. But now what so instead we should probably be talking about like okay we can't like turn the ship around. So what can we do to I don't know minimize the yeah. damage we're, I mean what And that actually brings us to, to almost another kind of denialism that exists out there. <laughs> I was actually talking to a guy today who's an energy expert and I, I actually he actually said something I should just mention quickly. He referred to a study that you know if you paint your roof white Mm-hmm. You have lower air conditioning costs, mm. but if they painted the roof white of every building in Los Angeles, it would lower the summer August temperature by five <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit on average, huh. which would make the trains run faster. Because remember, I mentioned before about how trains determine. Yeah. Know, they right. heat. Of, yeah. It would change the air conditioning costs of everything. It would reduce the amount of negative effects of smog because smog is worse when you just heat up the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So. Things like that. Okay. So the point is, there's a whole industry out there that is designed, it seems like it's designed to reduce your perception of what effects you can have. Yeah. I feel powerless a lot of the time. You know? So I'll give you a, a personal example. We were going to buy, my wife commutes pretty far. We're hoping to move eventually closer to where she works, but she commutes pretty far. So our one of our cars was getting too crappy to drive. So I get the old car and she gets a new car. <laughs> and we, we decided to get, to look into getting a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And if we weren't going to get a hybrid, we we're going to get a, the same car we used to, we, 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 we already had, just a newer one, mm-hmm. okay? A Subaru. And one of you is a Subaru. I, I have a Subaru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's parked right in front of yours. So, so the car of the modern liberal, I think. Right. But... <laughs> 
so or or a Prius. Right. right. Well, so, that's higher end modern liberal. <laughs> okay, that's what you think. That's what I think. Yeah, because you've been told to think that. I have been, yes. It's not true. So we're looking into the situation. The first thing I find out is somebody says, well, you know, the batteries will all die before you, know, you have to pay for the batteries. So mm-hmm. I researched it. No, actually, the batteries last more than five years. They're actually warranted. Mm-hmm. So, no, we're going to sell the car before that. Well, you don't really save the money on the gas because the amount of money you save in the gas is much less than the amount of money you save by just buying a different car. So the studies that you look online, and the usual comparison is between a, a Honda Civic and a Prius. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's like saying, do you really want the flat screen TV? Because if I can go down to the dumpster and get a free... You know, old tube TV, and it's free. Why would you want anything? But, you know, you can't compare certain things. Right. I don't want that thing. I want this other thing. I don't want a Honda Civic. Right. (laughs) Okay. So why would I compare to a a dumpster TV? Right. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) That's their new ad campaign. We are sponsored by Honda, by the way. Oh, boy. Uh, So so then I actually went and I I started talking to a guy who sells cars, and I was just bringing this up. He says, well, you're already there because the Subaru Forester is $2,000 more than the Prius. Really? Yeah, really. That's oh, what I man. said. So I'm sure he was exaggerating slightly because trying to sell me a Prius. But the point is, <laughs> I actually checked. And yeah, actually, the list price, the Subaru is a little more expensive. And if you buy a 2014 Subaru with everything that you'd want on it, which isn't mm-hmm. too much, but like the warranty and stuff, versus a one-year-older Prius, Prius. Yep. we're saving thousands of dollars. I'm going car okay? shopping. And then you, you put the gas in the car, and it turns out that you save half yeah. Using half the gas. Yeah, yeah. You know? So the point is that there's there are there's an industry out there of of ruining it for everyone. Yeah, that's totally a marketing thing. That's yeah. been well, it's 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 basically you know so several things aren't counted when you work out these numbers. First of all, putting solar panels on your roof versus using more you know natural gas to heat your house mm-hmm. in Minnesota, let's say, or using electricity from the nuclear and coal generation plants. In the future, the nuclear plant is going to go belly up. I mean, it has a limited lifespan, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to, have to build a new one. Mm-hmm. which will cost however much nuclear power plant costs. I forgot. I looked it up the other day. I can't remember. It's a lot. They're expensive. More 20, than a Prius. 2500 Way more than a Prius. Give or take. Yeah. And carbon might get taxed. Oil and coal are going to go up in price. Yeah. The amount of sun charges for your solar panel energy does not go up. Okay. So right there, your solar panels are going to save money over the next 20 years because the price of sunlight is not going to go up. Mm-hmm. It's already... People, you ask people about solar and say, well, solar is not, we're not ready for solar. It's not really cheap enough. Solar has dropped in its unit price precipitously. And it extent. keeps dropping, right? It seems yeah. like it keeps... Yeah. Well, whatever you thought it was six months ago is wrong. It's so fast that it's dropping. Mm-hmm. It's still dropping. It's becoming... you know. And then there's another cost. Think about it this way. Let's say that you're building a building in New Jersey or Long Island, somewhere near New York City. So prices are kind of high of real estate. Mm-hmm. And you're building a, 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 an office complex. And you're worrying about whether or not to put solar panels on the roof or use just electricity for heating and cooling and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. How long do you expect to own this building? And when you sell it, do you want to sell it for less than you built it for or more than you built it for? <laughs> the answer is you want to sell it for more than you built it for. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's two things that will happen if you put solar panels on the roof. First of all, real estate with solar panels already in place sell faster. This, a person buying two buildings and one has solar panels, they'll buy the solar panel one first because people just think it's a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right there, you'll sell it faster. But the other thing is, what is the value? This is the old, the old economist question. Why would you ever plant a date tree? If you're like living in Egypt in like you know the Neolithic, why would you plant a date tree? A date tree takes 150 years before it gives you its first piece of fruit. Mm. Your life expectancy is 40, and you're already 40. Mm-hmm. Okay, why would you, you plant a date tree so you can give it to your son? What's he going to do with it? Nothing. It won't produce dates his entire life, but it will be something valuable he can give to his son. So by by taking your value out a few generations, you get to 
get date trees. Okay? Mm-hmm. Real estate is just like that. The reason why your house is, has a certain value now is not because it actually has that value, but because in 10 years it will have that value or 20 years it will have that value. The reason you get a 30-year mortgage to buy a house is because we expect our real estate to be at the same value in 30 years. Now let's go back to our, our complex building complex we're building in New Jersey or Long Island. I picked those spots because they're low near the ocean. Long Island is a glacial moraine. Three or four meters of sea level, Long Island's gone. Mm-hmm. It, it, lots of it is above three or four meters, but it's also all cliffs. I mean, it will just be eaten away. Okay. Mm-hmm. So your plant is now actually right now today, if your plant is below a certain altitude near the Atlantic Ocean, it's worthless. No one knows this yet, mm. but it's worthless because you can't really sell it in 100 years from now because it won't be there. Mm. If you can't sell it 100 years ago, you can't sell it in 90 years. If somebody buys it in 50 years and knows it's not going to be there in 100 years, it's worthless to them. Mm-hmm. At some point, someone's going to realize this piece of land you've got is worth nothing. So now it's going back to, to Los Angeles with the white roofs. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a thing you can do on that plant that will make all of the industrial and commercial property worth something instead of nothing. And that's put solar panels on every square inch of it to forestall global warming. Right. There's actually an external cost that is never counted in. And I think what actually has to happen is we have to start counting in the external cost and also counting in the external benefit. In this case, the benefit of forestalling climate change and also reconfiguring our grid system. I mean, even even just simple things like just think about you're building new stuff in a new area. You have to now put in new roads, new sewers, new water supply, new electrical supplies, right? Right. Well, not if you're putting solar panels and everything. Electrical supply is going to be cheap to put in. Yeah. So one entire major thing they're going to come and tax you for, they're not going to tax you for. So it seems like the solution and one of the one of the big action things is. Do all the things you think you're supposed to do, just think about them differently, like reframe the time frame and what investment really means. Right. And that has to be done at the level of people who are in charge of telling you what to do with your investments. Investment analysts. So my wife. Is that what she does? (laughs) No, just that's what she tells me what to do. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. So everyone's wife now has to know. uh, it, It has to be, you know, economists, investment analysts, finance experts, bankers. They're the ones that have to get on board. Mm-hmm. And explain it from a beneficial to you point of view. Right. And they're not going to do it unless they believe it. Right. And in order to believe it, basically what this means is that academia has to step in. And teach As we economists. produce the next generation of analysts and economists from the MA programs at the business schools, they have to walk out of business school understanding this and doing this differently. Well, I like that there's a, a way. Like that seems challenging, but yeah. it's exciting. This is all really interesting, and um, I really like how you explain stuff. So that's why I, I just always want to like keep asking more questions. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have something else? Just one thing you seem to have experience with is dealing. I I never know how to deal with people who are being willfully ignorant. And it makes me upset and angry, and I just can't bring myself to talk. You just want to shout. Right. (laughs) But I I, I shut down rather than Mm. engaging in the conversation because I feel like I won't be in control. And it's just, and then it gets down to name calling pretty much. Right. Which is always fun. Yeah. 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 There's no problem that it gets to that point. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't want to make an emotional argument, right? Right. 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 Exactly. I don't want to make an emotional argument, but I mean... You can't talk someone out of something they weren't talked into. Right, but you can make you can make arguments that other people looking in can see. Mm-hmm. But I know what you're saying. It's difficult to do it when you're in, having a conversation with someone on Twitter. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. in general, that is difficult. It, 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 it actually gets it actually. So how do you deal with it? Like how does how do you not feel bad about everything? Right. Because you're dealing with this. <laughs> That's my I, favorite I, question. I, you know, I can tell you how that I think how that works. There's two things to me that work that okay. make that work. One is, and this is not automatic. It's not easy, and it doesn't. It's hard to stick. Mm-hmm. 
but you take a, a professional attitude towards it. You know, just don't let it bother you. It's right. easy to say that. It's not easy for it to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can kind of work towards that. You don't let it bother you just because after you do this enough times, this, the same thing happens every time and the person just goes away and they they they, they start, you know, name calling and then pretty mm-hmm. soon you're a Nazi. Uh-huh. And just make sure that they call you a Nazi before you call them a Nazi. Right. You know, oh, yeah. And just keep a good cool rule about of it. thumb. You know, <laughs> it, it, even though they are, right? <laughs> the, the other thing that, that's really, and this is something that I've never, I don't think I've ever said this publicly before. Exactly. I maybe said it one or two times. But, you know, I used to be much more involved in different po- politics and climate change. Oh, more than two years ago, I was much more involved in feminist issues mm-hmm. and other social issues and evolution mm-hmm. and creationism. And I'm still very much involved in, in evolution creationism stuff because that's that's still science. Mm-hmm. Right. But the other political stuff that I was involved in, what, well, what happened was I, I've had it very frustrating. The stuff you're talking about is very frustrating. People are just being jerks and it's hard to do. Then I got into climate change and started communicating with a lot of fellow scientists and communicators about these things. Right. And the first thing I found out, and I already knew this. I don't know if you remember the the big framing debate at the Bell the Bell Universe, the Bell Museum slapdown. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, ever since then, I sort of discovered because basically, I personally think I won the debate against Mooney, but Mooney was right. <laughs> but you just know how to debate, <laughs> right? No, because it was at home home turf. Yeah, home uh-huh. turf. That's all. But you know, Chris is right, and and the, the thing is, you have to have a scientific viewpoint of how you communicate. Mm-hmm. If there's a science to how the communication works. So in the climate science area, there are people who are who actually just study the psychology of denialism. You know, there's professionals who just do that. And, you know, I talk to them all the time. I mean, I have conversations with them every single day. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and then the other thing that happens is, you know, I look, I have a special subset list of my Twitter feed of colleagues. Right. Mm-hmm. So I look at and I see that, you know, somebody who's a climate science communicator or scientist is tweeting something and suddenly they're in a Twitter war. Right. I jump in. Yeah. And when I'm in it, they jump in. Okay. So we support each other yeah. a lot. And sometimes you're just sending someone a, uh, an email saying, oh, yeah, that guy was a jerk. You know, sometimes you're just supporting someone personally. Sometimes it's going in and fighting with them. Mm-hmm. When I was involved in the whole discussion about skepticism and feminism, mm-hmm. I never got that. People were much more interested in arguing with you about how you were arguing in their favor than being an ally. Yeah, it was very emotional. I, I know that. You know, you, you, get, you get told, you know, I, I would like to be your ally, but you weren't exactly the kind of ally that I think someone should be. That kind of stuff. Mm. In other words, people are arguing more about how to argue and how to be allies than actually ever actually being an ally. It's a lot of semantic stuff. Whereas in the climate change stuff, it's like we actually disagree on enough stuff. It's fine. We'll disagree on it professionally, but we're going to support each other. So it's a very supportive community. Mm. And just like the denialist community is very supportive, I, mm. I think. Like, you know, there was a thing that happened a few months ago. It was in November. It was uh, Thanksgiving. So there was a thing called climate thanks. Hashtag climate thanks. Okay. So thanks, Michael Mann, for inventing the hockey stick curve. You know, thanks, Al Gore, for making your movie. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just climate thanks for stuff. And of course, the denialists jumped in, and you know, climate thanks to so and so to proving that the Earth is not really warmed. And you know, they they had their stuff. <laughs> right. And then someone did a study, which I think has never been released, but they looked at all the Twitter effects because all on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's like there were more denialists tweeting than there were pro climate science people mm. by about twenty percent more, or so as I recall. But the number of the reach, the number of people who would have gotten the tweets was something like 20 to one the other way. Because all these denialist accounts oh. were like, they have three followers. They just, they, they create their, they, well, yeah. they just created sock puppet accounts. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, so you get, look at some accounts, like they have zero followers and they've made nine tweets <laughs> <laughs> and they're all about this one thing and they were this morning hmm. and there's 50 of them or something, you know, not that many, but so, you know, there's a, the, but the point is that they actually have activism. They, they're coordinated, they're organized somewhat. They just aren't spreading. They're not expanding in numbers. 
I think they're decreasing in numbers. So there's hope. Well, don't take yeah. it personally, Eric. That's okay. the message. And if you want, let me know if someone's giving you a hard time. Yeah. No, no. I want, yeah. Yeah, I, don't take it personally and, and actually be an ally mm-hmm. and that's get a, allies. That's a great, I, I think that's great. Like, you, maybe you can't solve how you're being interacted with, but if you see someone else who's dealing with the same stuff, come to their aid. Yeah, like, and science like can feel so academic at times and kind of sterile. But to oh go on to uh, uh, no to get you know to get into a discussion a discussion and having allies uh, makes a lot of sense and it's not something you you necessarily think of no so uh, I like that a lot yeah yeah well uh, so we've been talking about your online stuff but where are the places people should go to see all of your things like the Twitter your handle Twitters and blogs and such. Your Twitters and blogs. yeah I mean I, I blog at National Geographic Science blogs Rick Layton's mm-hmm. blog I have a blog called the X blog. Which okay. is not very active, but it's where you can find out about my novel. I wrote mm. I, I wrote a fake novel a couple of years ago. <laughs> a fake novel? Yeah. <laughs> it was actually a fundraiser for the Secular Student Alliance. Okay. It's a story of a, a team of scientists who go into the Congo to to find out if there really is this species of ape that people awesome. have reported. And yeah. It turns out to be a, a parody of the whole secular movement. Nice. The whole skeptics movement, I should say. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the, the, as people are trying to tell us that Bigfoot doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Do you ever wonder who's paying them to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and you know. then is it just uh, at Greg Layden on Twitter? Is uh, that your Twitter handle? Yeah, at Greg Layden on Twitter. And I, um, I have a pretty open Facebook page. <laughs> and I, I would suggest looking at all of that stuff. Right. We'll have it up on the website for sure. Yeah. But yeah, definitely follow Greg. He, I've, I've, I've been following you the last week and it is... You you get into a lot of fights, and it's it's good. It's nice to see the communication and how how it works, and it's interesting. Yeah, the Pat, the Pat Sajak thing was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. never know what's going to blow up. There's something like that happens every day, and all of a sudden, there's I don't know how many thousands of retweets and yeah. You know, I, I looked at my you know on WordPress, get this little histogram atop your blog, mm-hmm. and I looked at my histogram, and there was this, I was obviously broken. There's one little line. It was like four thousand in one hour. <laughs> I was like what happened? And then I looked. It was Pat Sajak. Yeah, some dying old man. <laughs> Why do they call everyone Nazis and racists? Yeah. Oh, magical. Awesome. Well, thanks for being our guest, Greg. Yeah, I really thanks appreciate so it. much. All right, thanks for doing the show. I think it's a great show. Well, thank you. Thank you. Good. Huh? <laughs> hey, Eric. Hey, Levi. We're back. We are back a week later after talking to Greg Layden. Yes, I still really enjoyed that conversation with Greg. Yeah, I feel like it was maybe less of a conversation than Well, he's a good previous... lecturer. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. He's specialized, also... He specializes in science communication and goes around lecturing now. Right, so... but he was open to questions. I also would say, I think part of the issue was, I also feel like we maybe chimed in with less of our dumb jokes because, because... we were so interested in what he was talking interested about. Interested or... Intimidated by his knowledge. Well, and that he actually does public debates. Yeah. So I was like, oh, hey, he? if I throw out a dumb joke to this guy who has done debates in front of an audience, mm-hmm. he will be able to respond <laughs> quickly, you know? Yeah. And he was talking about issues as well as sort of hard science facts, too. So that was. Yeah. So it was a different kind of scientific topic where it wasn't about pure science necessarily, but also about the reaction that the pure science. Yeah. Causes. Well, so do you remember what climate change is? It's it's uh, when everything stays the same. All the temperatures and animals and plants, the whole biosphere. Yeah. And also the biodome. Where Polly Shore is. Yeah. And have which, you... which Baldwin? Ooh. Stephen? Billy? Billy? 
Maybe Billy. The secret. Un- Someone un- uh, write in with your guess. We're not looking it up. No, absolutely not. Which Baldwin is in Biodome? You can't look it up either. Have you been to the Biosphere ever? No. It's pretty interesting. Yeah? Yeah. It's Well, it's the failed- How similar to Biodome is it? I have not watched Biodome. What? So exactly as similar. What's wrong with you? Tenacious D is, is <laughs> part of that movie. I don't know if I... I kind of like them, but I kind of I've don't. watched it several times. Okay. Is not at your daughter's request? No, no, she's never heard of it. It's just it was on TV every once in a while for a while, and when I was in my early twenties, I had that same problem with Encino Man. Oh, similar movie, really. The same, the same problem. Yeah, <laughs> that is how I said that. It is a problem. No, global climate change mm-hmm. is the sort of macro scale shift in the temperatures. Did we get a specific? He gave fe- some really good examples, he I think. Good- he gave some good examples, but I don't think we had a specific definition. No, it was more the impacts of Impact. climate so, change and how we know it. Because we right. asked if it's real. We got into that pretty quickly. Yeah. I said a joke. You- <laughs> and then everyone laughed. <laughs> I like I like how your genuine laugh turned into a fake laugh yeah, as true. it went on. Yeah, but he, he talked about that sort of release of carbon and... Carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, yes, not monoxide. Which, and I learned that water vapor is also a greenhouse gas. Right. And the heating up causes more water vapor, which is a positive feedback loop, which right. is a bad thing for us. That's a good thing to learn. Right. Do you, so in the past week, as I've been driving mm-hmm. <laughs> like a monster, I mean, I, the, I've been thinking about the whole Subaru Prius thing that he, he talked about, but yeah. uh, more significantly is... Whenever in the past I'd see someone with solar panels on the roof, whether it be mm-hmm. a business or a home, there's a few uh, residents, residential homes near me who have solar panels, and then there's a couple of businesses who have like a sort of a green initiative happening where their whole their whole roof is is covered in solar panels. Yeah. And I used to just go, oh, that's cool. And I've noticed in the last week when I see it, I'm like, oh, those people are long-term investing in our future and upping the resale value on their property. Like it totally reframed my point of view about the value of a solar panel which i used Mm -hmm. to think was just good it's a good idea for the world but it's costly and now i'm like it's dumb that i'm not doing it yeah i what i kind of got out of it was a lot we with the prius thing we make a lot of assumptions yes totally hear a tidbit of information then we we make an assumption about the whole thing and without doing our own due diligence without looking up say reviews or unbiased opinions or research or whatever on on that thing you know we get our information from maybe not the most reliable sources or people with an angle which which you know climate change deniers are going to say gah somebody with an angle huh (laughs) look in the mirror and then you'll look in the mirror. And I'll be like, oh, there's a guy who doesn't want his children to be uh, <laughs> burning to death. Or, or buried underwater. Yeah. Uh, bar- I brought, buried. okay, so <laughs> I did a improv show this weekend. Congratulations. Thank you. And I was the narrator. Right. And everyone was trapped on an island. Nice. Due to climate change. And it was, a, well. <laughs> Which science did you bring in? The uh, I had the uh, Western Arctic Shelf collapse and have them have to escape the island because it was going to disappear. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So not it. It felt right as a plot device. Yeah. And I brought a little bit of I. I brought some you knowledge. applied that knowledge. Yeah. Which is great because then you were saying it. Thirteen fucking feet, Levi. You. I know. I don't think we swore at all in this episode. No. But thirteen motherfucking feet. Shit. Is. God damn it. Okay, we made our point. All right. But that's that's huge. It is huge. And it might be smaller, but it might be more. Right. That's, well, that, 
that's which is terrible. No, but you mentioning that, using that in the show, mm-hmm. I think that's a shift for you. Where in the past you maybe would have said something similar, but you wouldn't have gone. I know that this is accurate. You would have just gone mm. like, "Here's something that's happening." Right. I might have read it. I don't know. Some a bunch of stuff that Greg Layden talked about mm-hmm. moments ago for listeners, right? Um, a week ago for me, it all kind of reminded me of this thing. I think we all do, and I know I've totally been guilty of, mm-hmm. where you overhear a thing, you hear a thing secondhand, you read part of a thing, yes, and then you repeat it to other people, mm-hmm. and as far as they know, you're a reliable source. Yeah. And because you're presenting it in that confident, well, you know, Priuses are so expensive. And then that's it. You have now told someone else you can't afford a Prius. Right, yeah. I think I've probably done stuff like that with science, specifically with a bunch of scientific topics Mm -hmm. that I heard or partially read. And then I'm totally wrong about. And I don't know how to write those wrongs. My name is Earl style, (laughs) like going around and trying to like correct science or something. Yeah. But- I, yeah, I, that, like, all of the things he touched on, I was like, these are all the kind of things that I feel like I and people I know repeat back to each other and create our own sort of feedback loop yeah. of, well, that must be true. I mean, I heard it right, at this dinner party. It. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, how, but how do you know party? that person? None. I know, I knew you were going to call me out at the all right, dinner good. party. All right. That's not Just a so thing. you're aware. No, no. That is not a thing I go to. Maybe some people bring some hot dishes and you sit around a TV playing rock band, but it's not a dinner party. I do bring out the fancy silver. <laughs> that is true. You... I noticed in when I'm using the Regret Labs Twitter account at Regret Labs on Twitter. Oh, that's so. I follow like a plug. Yeah, right. I follow a lot of science accounts, uh-huh. and I don't automatically retweet something I find interesting. Hmm. It's like, oh, there's a fact. I'll just retweet that. I go. I have to go into the article. I have to go. I have to read it. I have to look. Hmm. I have to make sure that it's at least legit because there's so many unsourced there's so much unsourced material on the internet or so many backwards evaluations of scientific papers even so you're saying if if someone were to follow regret labs Mm -hmm. on twitter they can count on a due diligence at play i'm not saying you're saying all retweets represent the exact opinions of regret Labs. (laughs) right yes we try yeah yeah, and really that's what we can do People should always do their own due diligence, but I'm only going to try and put out legit information. Yeah. Well, I think that that is a goal uh, for both of us for the show. And then I would just like everyone to preface everything we say with, I might be wrong. Like in your head, just before you see anything coming out of us, Mm -hmm. feel free to tack on, this could be wrong. This could be wrong or... You might want to double check. Get a second opinion. I like the scientific idea that... You should test Think, this. Things could change. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So This is what we know it's now. It's right as far as I know. Right. As far as we Given know. Given our current information. Yeah. But if I get some new information, I might change my opinion. Yeah, that's true. Because that is what people do. Yeah. That's what's so frustrating about climate change, I guess, is there's so much information and mm. people, given that information, just don't accept it. No. Right. I mean, and I'm not saying just accepting, accept something for accepting it, but consider it. Well, it's been established. Yeah. So, like, it's been run through a bunch of filters. Yeah. At this yeah, point. it's true. It has. It has. I found what was interesting is the ninety-nine percent of uh, talking about the scientific consensus that even the ones they fudged to be like, well, I guess, I guess this could be negative. weren't exactly said. weren't saying things against no climate they were just change like, happening. There's a little wiggle room, right? 
or one one component isn't exactly right. Yeah. There was no like slam dunk no. refutation. And people think any little chink in the armor is a shot straight to Smog's heart. <laughs> and don't bring nerdiness into this science what podcast. About, yeah. <laughs> no one wants that. Yeah. I feel like uh I learned a lot. What are some other fa- is are there any other facts we learned? Facts. It seems like we, when we talk about facts post like a, a week. Yeah. I think we're leaving people with we hear the facts, they hear the ha- the facts in our conversation, right? and then we're like, let us reframe that in possibly a worse way, <laughs> right? So let, maybe, we change, maybe we change one word or one aspect that, uh-huh. that totally messes up the meaning. Yeah. So people listen to the whole podcast, and then they're left with our incorrect rephrasing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to get away from facts or just put an, uh, put an asterisk by everything. You know what I'd actually like to do? Hmm. Uh, is ask people to to tell us if there was a fact they pulled out from this episode. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you just heard this and you didn't know something and you feel like you pulled something away from the episode, probably from something Greg said. <laughs> did uh, we mention Back to the Future 3? I'm pretty sure we, it, yeah, 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 we yeah. brought it back up. Yeah. Great. We'll keep that running. You should... Uh, Post it on the Noise Picnic website where the where the episodes live. Yep, just go to regretlabs.com and that'll bring you right to it. Tweet it at, at regretlabs. Or go on to Facebook.com slash regretlabs. Regret Labs podcast. I'm sorry, do that as well. Because Don't go some, to Regret Labs without podcasts. No, because that is probably... Uh, it's some, a horsehair shampoo, I think. Yeah. yeah. So send us... We I would love to I would love to see that because I'd like to, to know that we're getting at something. If we're getting at facts, are, are are the people getting excited about them? And then, as always, what did we get wrong? Yeah. Send and even, in, you know, what I would really like to see as well is if people check the our conversation with Greg yeah. versus what we're saying at the end here. Oh, that'd be great. I'd yeah. love to be able to put out some corrections like, we, we screwed this up at the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't bother with the first part. We no. know we know <laughs> when Levi and I were talking about what we don't know. All wrong. We know it was all wrong. Right. But yeah, I'd like to see the difference between the conversation and then our wrap up. Yeah, are we do we seem like we actually learned something? Right. What did people pick out? Because it's fuzzy at times. Yeah. Anything else to add, Levi? Uh, I'm excited to talk to more people. Me too. I'm excited for us to take more science tests and put out mini episodes. I'm sort of excited for that. <laughs> sort of terrified. And I want to hear from people listening to the show about yeah. what else topics we should be talking about, guests. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd and love when's to hear the last time guests. you felt dumb? That'd be a great thing to hear about, too. That'd be a, that'd be a good Make thing me feel good. <laughs> then we're all in the same boat. As the ice is melting, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> all boats rise in uh, high tide or global warming. I mean, climate change. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Don't don't write us in about that. No, but you should keep asking questions. Regret Labs is hosted by Eric McEwen and Levi Weinhagen. Music produced and performed by Dieter. Podcast art by Lem Pugh and Kirsten McEwen. Regret Labs is a Noise Picnic production. Please visit us at noisepicnic.com. I saw a headline that said, scientists confounded by planet heavier than Earth. Like they found something that's two times the size of Earth, but Mm -hmm. 17 times as heavy. And they're confounded. Yeah, they're confounded. That's right. Because scientists are just baffled. Right. Right.
It's like, well, no, they're, they're looking for answers. They're not like, this doesn't make sense. Ah, how could this be? Burn the lab down. Yeah. What are we doing now? Climate change. 